Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome you into Crown Corner on this Wednesday, the 16th day of March 2022. Will Pelagic, Jessica Charman here with you in our fourth voyage on Crown Corner. We come to you on Pave. Impressive showing in Atlanta, although the team falls short at the death on a goal by Jake Mulraney. Jess, I think if we could sum up the entirety of Charlotte FC season, it would be unlucky. But I do feel like progress has been made continually, including what we saw in that city last Sunday. Unlucky. It's heart-wrenching. Every single post-game show, Will, we just look at each other and it, it, you're, you're racking your brains about how many times we're going to have to go through this. You talk about luck. It's true. Soccer's a game of luck right now. It just doesn't seem to be going our way. The performances are a huge improvement. A difficult first half. I think it would be fair to say Atlanta United really took the game to Charlotte FC in the first half, but the sides and the adjustments that were made Huge, huge improvements in that second half, a really, really exciting second half. And of course, you know, the thing that meant the most to all of us was the fact that we found the back of the net for the first time. You definitely did. Uh, we had the ability to bring you a, uh, a real exciting contest and we'll bring you our highlight montage in just a moment. But I do feel like the energy that we saw from not just the supporters, we saw it from those who traveled down to Atlanta. But I think also the energy that was brought on by Adam Armour and Harrison Awful at halftime really changed the tone of the game. Look, the substitutions made a massive impact. That's not just a testament to the players that you mentioned that came on off of the bench. It's also a huge shout out to the manager. Miguel Angel Ramirez noticed the things that potentially weren't going right, the things that Atlanta United were capitalizing on, and he made the adjustments that improved the whole style of play. I wish I had been able to be a fly on the wall in the halftime conversation because whatever he said clearly changed the whole mindset of the players going out there because the two different halves were night and day. We had a fun time calling this game for you on the Charlotte FC Radio Network. If you missed any part of it, here is the highlight montage from you. From us to you. <laughs> We're underway with the ball kicked back through Mateus Osetu and back for Atlanta in their own end. Lemon crossed into the area, head by Joseph Martinez, and a save made by Christian Kalina. Kalina had a heart and mouth there, didn't quite react as quick as I would like to see him. Lindsay, a long shot off the crossbar 
Warren just missed. What a shot by Jalen Lindsay. Great rip from Lindsay. Left side, Gutman. Gutman behind his man. Gutman with a shot. Save made Kalina. Vital save by Kalina. His positioning and speed off of his line is spectacular. Giveaway by Fuchs. Fuchs for Martinez. Joseph with a shot. Save again by Kalina. Ocente with a shot. Nicely saved by Christian Kalina. Bender with a cross into the middle. Ahead. A save made by Guzan. What a save by Brad Guzan. I know I've been critical of him, but that was a sharp reaction. Cross into the middle. Hesonerski, a save made by Guzan. Punched by Guzan. A shot by Bender, a save. Now down the right side coming is Lennon. Lennon taken down by Carujo, and he points to the spot. It's a penalty. Martinez approaches. Stutter steps. A kick. Score. Bender approaches on the left side corner. Into the area. Headed in. Score! about super sub it's a brilliant header he leaps up above the defenders it's a fantastic ball from Bender with an odd man rush right side for Lennon Lennon with a centering pass a shot save made Kalina save of the match fifth minute of seven added now into the box against Fuchs with the left foot a shot they score That is the highlight montage from Sunday afternoon's 2-1 loss. And and one of the main talking points we had coming out of it, and I hate that this wasn't asked in the post-match comments, Jess, is, you know, the decision to to keep the foot on the pedal and go for goal in stoppage time as opposed to playing for one. I know you and I talked about the fact that you like to see a team's mentality, you know, be that of one that wants the whole three points. But I wonder if maybe this is a situation later on in the season when you're playing for a point, you at least have the ability to try and sit on it a little bit. I think you learn from it, right? Uh, There's part of me that's very proud of this side for going out and trying to get those three points. It, It can be very frustrating when a team parks the bus, particularly if it's for a long period of time. But having worked so hard to get back into the game, when you see those seven minutes go up on the board, perhaps in hindsight, knowing how Atlanta United had these aggressive subs, knowing how Charlotte FC was getting fatigued. You know, we mentioned Christian Fuchs, fantastic player who's been very strong across the first two matches, adjusted slightly differently to the left-back position, was getting quite tired noticeably. Perhaps in that moment, you needed to think about, do we have the legs if we go forward to get back and recover? We talked about in the air whether we wanted to just hold on to the point. Look, they went the other way. I'm proud of that decision, but at the same time, was that what cost us one point? Probably. But at the end of the day, you've got to see the positive in it. It shows that you've got a manager that trusts his side. You've got teammates that want to go forward. They don't want to get one point. They believe they can compete neck and neck with Atlanta United. So, yeah, like I say, in hindsight, maybe a little bit naive to to not understand the risk that Atlanta United had going forward. But again... Do you really want to watch a game week in, week out that gets a goal and defends a point? Nah, no, that's not fun, is it? <laughs> no, 
And, and, and I think I'll go back to what Miguel said in my first interview with him. You know, what is life without risk? And so he wants to, he wants to push the tempo. He wants to push. <laughs> and the if we'd have got a goal, if we'd have got a goal, would we have been complaining? <laughs> no, we wouldn't would have said anything. Have. We, we would have not been saying anything. We'd have been running around screaming in the booth. <laughs> yeah. We would have been screaming and we were screaming when Adam Armour scored the first goal for Charlotte FC. And something that head coach Miguel on how Ramirez talked about after the game was the fact that, you know, he was not even in the squad against LA Galaxy, but because of not only injury, they had to do some reconfiguring of the 20 for the contest. But Miguel Angel Ramirez said Armour earned his way not only into the game day roster, but into the lineup and into history for Charlotte FC. He was an example in front of the players. Like this guy was out of the roster, was out of the game, and he came uh, the first day of the week with his best energy trying to to push and make my decision difficult. And the game rewarded him today, having second half, a really good second half, and scoring the, the first goal of the history that, I mean, he, he, he grew the history today for the club, you know, with the first goal. And I know we'll hear from Adam himself later on, but to me, that's the mark of an ultimate professional. You have to be able to respond to adversity. You have to deal with lows and every player is going to have lows in their career within a season. He responded to something that obviously really hurt. Let's be honest. Every player dreamed of stepping onto that pitch in front of 74,000 plus fans to be sat in a technical box watching it. Can you imagine how that would feel? Mm -mm. So for him to respond positively instead of you know, potentially feeling some sort of negative way about it, it is fantastic. And now, okay, he didn't step on the pitch in front of 74,000, but everyone's going to remember the name Adam Armour. And he was one of the earliest signings of this club. And to think about that uh, match coming up, basically circled on the calendar for everybody, that first home match against LA Galaxy, and instead you're sitting up next to us in the uh, press box level. They're Listening to us right, through the walls. <laughs> literally right next to us. They had to be killing him. But uh, we can't wait to have you hear what he had to say about that moment. We'll have that coming up for you here shortly on Crown Corner. We're also going to preview the next match against New England Revolution with the play-by-play -play voice of the Revs, Brad Feldman. they got a game tonight, too, that we'll talk about against Pumas UNAM in the Champions League quarterfinals in CONCACAF. We'll also hear from Patrick Aquino, who was part of the contingent of the Carolina Hooligans, who went down to Atlanta. That'll be part of our supporter spotlight here on Crown Corner. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Willie P. Style, at Jess Talks Footy, and also be sure to ask us any questions you might have. We will answer those for you on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube on the WFNZ accounts of those. And we'll do those in the final segment with Matt's burning questions. The guy, though, who was the not only the talk of the team, but the talk of the league after the contest was Charlotte FC number one overall draft pick, Ben Bender. He was named to the MLS Team of the Week, the first weekly honoree for Charlotte FC, and got all the praise from his manager following the contest. Possible to not have Ben Bender on the 11th today. That's why he played. Because I don't have more wingers, he plays a winger. <laughs> so uh, that's the reason. And he's doing amazing. I will not say anything else because you all saw Ben in the last games and today. And today he did he did really amazing. Only maybe first yeah, 15, 20 minutes that he was a little bit scared, nervous, stressed. And it's obvious because he's 2001 boy playing for the first time in, in a starting 11 in MLS. It's, it's normal. But then with the minutes, 
who was the master of the pitch. Yeah, and I think what's really good about Ben Bender is we had spoken in previous podcasts about, you know, he had done well off of the bench, but something that I thought would improve him further would be getting that start with getting that nod because, as we've mentioned, for players it can be easier to get up to the run of play when you start with the defenders. Miguel mentioned, you know, first 15 minutes a little shaky. Of course, he's nervous. He's getting into the game, kind of like how a sub gets into the game. But as soon as he goes ahead, he gets that 90 minutes and... I think what's really impressive about him, we always mention on air, Will, about the corners. He's able to take them with both feet, which means that he can do both an outswinging or an in-swinging corner from either side of the pitch. That's that's very rare to have that ability with both your feet. And one of the things that uh, I think one of the players or one of the uh, listeners, excuse me, wanted us to, to kind of explain is how the formation changed, not just pregame, but with the insertion of Bender and with the insertion of Armour, Miguel Angel Ramirez pushed all the right buttons with that halftime sub of both Armour and Awful on at halftime. You did see a little bit of the struggle from this squad switching to three center back, switching from three center backs at the back to now four with two center backs and two full backs. Uh, that was something that was, I think, mitigated by Armour's inclusion and the way that Awful was able to not only play a lot more back, but he also was able to get forward. They weren't getting that out of Mackenzie Gaines early on in the first 45. No, I think what's different about Awful as a player is he has more confidence defensively than Mackenzie Gaines, but he's also very good at attacking forward. He was able to both make those run forward and play very exciting soccer, but also had the knowledge and positioning to be more comfortable getting back to recover. We saw Titi Ortiz coming off at halftime that may have surprised some people with him being the notable playmaker. He was on a yellow card. He was getting a little chippy, making a few decisions that could have been very costly. Him coming off and seeing Ben Bender move more centrally suited Ben Bender. He was doing well on the wing, but at times was getting a little bit lost. I feel like when he moved more central, he came into that game alive and Adam Armour slotted in more wide and was doing a great job. He has played as a fullback, so he understands, again, that positioning on the winging wing position, so was more natural and more comfortable driving forward. But again, also offered some defensive stability, which was needed because, as you mentioned, Will, with that back four, there were moments both Jaden Lindsay and Christian Fuchs were slightly shaky because they've been used to playing as part of a back three, back five when you include the wing backs, and, and it changes that very uh, considerably when you mix to a back four completely. Yeah, and Awful was one of the few, I guess, veterans who you would say played well in the contest. A couple of those veterans, like you said, had, and I hate to say the word worse, but had their least effective game mm -hmm. of their time with Charlotte FC. Fuchs, you mentioned, uh, McCoon did not have a good night as well. And and obviously we've talked a lot about kind of the way that things worked up top. You mentioned Ortiz being on a yellow card and, and not being as effective as he was previously. But it was a game that was carried by the youngsters, both Bender and Adam Armour. And we have a chance now to talk to Adam Armour out not only about his goal, but his inclusion in the lineup after a week not in the lineup and how he authored one of the seminal moments of club history with the first ever goal on Sunday in Atlanta. Bender approaches on the left side corner. Into the area, headed in,
what what a moment in Charlotte FC history and what a moment for the club. And we have the man of the moment here with us on Crown Corner, and that is Adam Armour, man who scored the first ever goal in Charlotte FC history. Adam, number one, thanks again for coming on. And number two, just congratulations. I'm sure it's been a whirlwind couple of days for you with notoriety of scoring the first goal. What was it like in the moment scoring that goal? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. In the moment, I was more focused on like the fact that we tied the game than scoring the first goal in history. Um, and even after the game, it wasn't really settling in. After the game, I was kind of uh, disappointed with how the game ended up. But later that night, you know, it hit me. It all hit me. And I was seeing the support and getting the text from friends and family. Um, and then looking back on it, watching the game again, hearing your guys' uh, amazing commentary just made it. <laughs> It made it seem so real, and and I'm not. I, it's my first professional goal, which makes it even better because I'm not normally the guy up there scoring twenty goals a season. But it, it was an amazing um, experience on the field and celebrating with all the guys, and it was incredible. Okay, two part question. Firstly, you talk about the celebration. I noticed in particular Christian Fuchs, Brant Bronico coming up to you. You've had a lot of experience with them. Number two, we noticed the A down. Now, I know two A's down is Adam Armour, but did that have a bit of a mocking sense to Atlanta as well? We know a lot of Atlanta people that do this as well, man. Um, so I'll start off by saying no, it had, it had nothing to do with Atlanta. <laughs> that would be a little, a little disrespectful. So, um, <laughs> no, no, if no matter who... Uh, having to score against, I'll be throwing up the AA. Um, but yeah, the celebration with the team, with guys like Brandt and Fuchs, who have helped me get to this position. I played with them last year in Independence. Being able to celebrate like with guys like that, guys like Jalen Lindsay, who I've been really close with recently, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And then seeing all the, the guys on the side and the coaches celebrating, as well as the, the traveling fans in the stands, it was it was incredible. Set the record straight for me, Adam. Do you claim Burlington? Do you claim Cary, the Triangle, the State? Because I've seen it printed 50 different ways. Um, So I'll claim Cary. I was born in Burlington, but I claim Cary. Okay, so I feel like... He's relieved relieved, because he was a little worried. (laughs) What happened was when I saw in the initial release, it said Cary, North Carolina, Mm -hmm. but I knew that it said Burlington on your birthday. So I'm like... It's weird. So it's like people know more carry than they do Burlington. So I, I feel I, I feel a sense of relief now. Yeah, yeah. I moved out of Burlington when I was around six. So it, it's where I grew up in my younger days, but I'm claiming carry for now. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, I'm also cool with what your head coach said after the game, too. The fact that he used you as an example, uh, not in the squad, in the second game against LA Galaxy. You chomped a bit, had a good week of training. You had the extra training uh, with the game being played on Sunday. What motivated you this past week to not only get yourself back in the 20, but get on the field and be part of that moment? Yeah, so, I mean, everyone everyone will be upset if they don't play. Um, and I was definitely upset. And then I was sitting in in one of the technical boxes watching the game against LA Galaxy. And – just that game in general with the 74,000 fans and it's loud and it's, it's against a great opponent. 
um, that kind of lit something inside of me. I was like, I want to be out there so bad. So I made sure next day in training, whenever we were back in, I, do, I was doing everything possible to get back on the field and every, every day leading up to um, the Atlanta game. So uh, I came into training. I was actually playing on the wing in training, which was – it's been a couple years since I played there, but um, I knew that no matter where coach wanted me to play, I was going to do everything I could to be in the, in the squad. And you got back into the squad. You got back onto the pitch at halftime. What did Miguel Angel Ramirez tell you at halftime? You know, it's quite rare to be subbed on with 45 minutes to prove yourself. What was his advice and what did he talk to you about? Um, so, yeah, leading up to, to me coming on, he basically told Harrison and I that we need energy. We need to bring energy to the team and we need to, to kind of lead from the front. Um, there were times in the first half where we were sitting back and kind of letting them play their game. He kind of told us, go at them, cause problems and don't give them any room to play. When I said it had to be a Carolina boy, I really feel like it had to be because of the soccer lineage in this state. Uh, I know that you and Jalen both take it very personally and also Brant to a, a bit of an extent too as well, having played collegiately uh, in Charlotte, Charlotte throughout MLS. It's insane, to be honest. It's insane because I have all, the, all my friends and family that have grown up with me, watched me grow as a player and as a person. They're getting to be right there with me um while I'm playing here so I mean I played in I played in Germany for a, a small amount of time and it feels like it's so far away so being here in Charlotte it feels like everyone's close everyone's supporting um and yeah just being back in North Carolina is it, it seems like a full circle something I've noticed about you is your interaction with the fans you've got an Instagram story long as days making sure you thank everyone do you feel like that's something that's really important to you as a player for sure, for sure. Um, I think not not only as a player, but as a person, I've, I've been taught to show love to the people that show love to you. So I think the fans always come first to me. Um, the fans are, are the ones that allow us to do what we do. The fans are the ones that support us no matter what. And we know that we haven't been getting the results that we're looking for, but the fans have been with us every step of the way. So without them, we wouldn't be here and that's why I feel like it's it's important to to show love to them. Jess mentioned your connections uh, to Fuchs and Bronico with your time at the Independence, and I I found it very interesting when the signings were made and the fact that there's both of you on the roster, uh, a totally patented guy that you can learn from. What is I guess the greatest lesson you've learned from Fuchs, just because I feel like that's a guy who brings a wealth of knowledge that can not only transfer to your position, but I'm sure he can talk to basically anybody on the squad about how things are done. Yeah, it's been great having him. He's since the day I met him, he's been helping me out. He's been giving me pointers, um, a couple stuff, a couple things position positional based um, because he played left back as well. And he plays left back. But um, I think the biggest thing he taught me was no matter who you are, no matter how big of a player, how small of a player you are, everybody's going to have ups and downs um, throughout your whole career. And it's all about how you pick yourself up um, after facing hardship or facing adversity. So I think that's definitely something that stuck with me. Do you have any personal goals for this season at all? Is there anything you really want to make sure that you accomplish to feel successful? 
Um, just showing as corny as it sounds, just showing the best version of myself every time I step on the field. Um, the stats will come if I if I give my best. Um, but I just want to help the team as much as possible. You know, we have big goals as a team this year. We want to make playoffs. We want to go far, and we want to be respected as an MLS club. So I just want to do what I can to help the team achieve that. A personal goal for, for me, for Adam, is to somehow get a local T-shirt collab that says it had to be a Carolina boy and had to oh, hold that. Hey, we'll talk to Glory Days Apparel. We'll do that. We'll make that happen. Uh, I also have to ask you because – First week we were on the podcast, Anton Walks got very chesty about his FIFA prowess. <laughs> and I have to know. He knows. One, Adam's threatened. He's threatened. So number one, how good is he? And number two, can you at least best him? Because I think he called you out a little bit about saying, hey, you know, I can maybe uh, get Adam in here and, and, and teach him a thing or two. Yeah, so I'm not going to lie. Before um, – Charleston preseason, I would have backed myself. But then we played a couple of games and it did not go well for me. So I'm just gonna give it to him. He he he's a very good FIFA player. Does does he cheat? What does he do? Is it, is it, is it just because he who he uses? What is it? Yeah, he doesn't cheat. He just uses the best teams in the game with the fastest players. So yeah. So so you're telling me it's a it's more of a tactical thing. He knows who to pick. Yeah. Yeah. It's also practice. Remember, he said he brought his PlayStation away with him. He travels with his PlayStation. He's very committed, for sure. I I don't even have FIFA, so he's playing every day, all day, all night. So I think that might have definitely helped him. What has it been like being in the city, too? Just because I feel like this is something, like I said, you know, you you said you were from Cary, but being here in Charlotte, you've had a a little bit of time now, obviously with the time with the independence, what's it been like to be ingrained and ingratiated to the community? I've been loving it so far. Um, It's much different than Cary. There's a lot more going on. And I I like that. I feel like it's, it's a city where there's a lot going on, but not too much to where it's overwhelming. And it feels like a very close community like you go out and you see people wearing charlotte fc stuff and you see people just doing anything together so i feel like since i've been in the city i've definitely been enjoying it um yeah yeah, that's pretty much it well adam we certainly love talking to you uh i know i speak for both jess and myself and say that we are, are so happy that uh what happened sunday happened we hope to get a result against new england this upcoming saturday we hope you're part of it and most importantly, uh, happy to put your name in the history books forever, man. Thank you so much for the time. Good luck this season. Thank you guys for having me. That is Adam Armour, who I, I have to tell you, like I said, probably no more fitting of a person to be a part of that historic moment. And I also feel like, too, it just shows us a testament to where there were a lot of metrics in that contest that didn't go the way of Charlotte FC, but they were able to – Whether that part of the game, at least in the opening portion, they got a little bit back there in the final 10 minutes of the first half and then surged forward with their second half subs. Yeah, look, when we got into halftime at nil-nil, I think both of us looked at each other and wondered how we didn't find the back of the net. But when you look at the chances created right before the end of the half, we see that Charlotte created 12 shots, seven on target. I don't think they forced a goalkeeper to make close to that many saves in any match prior And it was a game of goalkeepers as well. Christian Kalina credited 
with I believe five or six incredible saves. It was a fun one as a goalkeeper to watch. Possession didn't go Charlotte's way, but when they had the ball, they were doing more with it and they were able to recover most of the time defensively. And I feel like they figured out Atlanta United towards the end. Atlanta United became quite predictable in moments. A lot of their fans mm-hmm. were frustrated with that. They were attacking the wings continually. And once Charlotte FC was able to adjust, once Jalen Lindsay was able to find his stride, when Christian Fuchs was able to feel comfortable, they seemed to defend very well against the wingers of Atlanta United. We turn the page to this week and a New England Revolution squad that were 19 points better than their nearest opponent in the Eastern Conference a year ago, 12 better than anybody in the league. They won the Supporters' Shield a year ago, which is the award given to the team with the most points during the regular season, bowed out in the conference quarterfinals. But I do feel like, you know, this is a squad that comes in with kind of a, a last ride mentality. They're the second oldest in all of MLS. And I do feel like, the way that the schedule breaks for Charlotte FC might fall in their favor. They had to play their two-leg portion of the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal both last week and this week against Pumas UNAM. They have a 3-0 lead on aggregate going into tonight's matchup in Mexico City, but at least from the indicators, I feel like if they're anything like they were last week, we'll find out from Brad Feldman in just a moment, their play-by-play voice, but I feel like they're going to put a first-choice side against against Pumas, and I feel like that might mean some reserves are in the starting lineup for the Revs against Charlotte on Saturday. Definitely. Look, everyone knows that Mexico is a very, very difficult place to go and play, regardless of having a 3-0 lead. They're going to need to go out there and prioritize this match. When we look at the CCL lineup from midweek last week, where they played on a Wednesday, there were huge adjustments in both the formation and the personnel Uh, What's really important for the Revs is to get a victory in Mexico tonight. And I think that will come at the cost potentially for them of some quality components against us. Or they may come off off of the bench because at the end of the day, four games in a 14-day period is a lot of matches and you're not going to see many stars getting to play 90 minutes in all four of those. And and honestly, there's probably no better Mm -hmm. scouting attempt than tonight against Pumas, just because the last two times we've seen them, whether it was their game last week, midweek against Pumas in (laughs) New England and last Saturday against Real Salt Lake, those were orange ball games. And it it was snowing pretty heavy. It wasn't exactly a a clear indicator of how the squad looks like. (laughs) No, it wouldn't be very good scouting. So I believe Will and I will both be staying up very late tonight. I think it's a 10.30 p.m. kickoff. So we'll be having some late night soccer, some coffee, making sure that we can watch them in their element. But again, yes, we will be scouting, but what will we see on Saturday, we, we can't tell that it's going to be very similar because they do have the squad depth. They're very confident in their personnel, which I'm sure we're going to hear with the play-by-play guys. So it's one of those where you mentioned, Will, Charlotte FC's had a very difficult schedule. But if there's one thing that goes in our favor, it's that we're going to be meeting the Rebs during a period of fatigue for them. Well, let's meet them a little bit here. I had a chance earlier this week uh, before he flew off to Mexico to chat with the play-by-play voice of the New England Revolution, Brad Feldman, here on Crown Corner. Welcome back to Crown Corner. It's time to do a little opposition research. And the New England Revolution are the team that we have next on the docket for Charlotte FC. Man who is their play-by-play voice is Brad Feldman. He joins us 
now on Crown Corner as we get you ready for Charlotte coming into this weekend against New England Revolution. Brad, I know it's a busy week for you guys. You have a trip to Mexico coming up midweek as well. It's uh, exciting times early here at MLS. Absolutely, Will. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, busy, uh, busy stretch. Five games, 15 days for the Revs, including the trip to Mexico City midweek. Uh, you know, it's, you, you can already see with the game uh, this past Saturday against RSL that, you know, they, <laughs> it's, it's been, you know, taxing on them. But, uh, you know, I, I think you're going to have, you know, fresh players out there against Charlotte in the game on Saturday. I was going to ask you about the last couple of days. I was wondering if you'd thought out after uh, the last two games had uh, an orange ball situation with uh, the midweek uh, tilt against Pumas and obviously this past weekend against Real Salt Lake. Yeah, you know, we expect that around here in these parts. It's still winter, and this is New England. Uh, but we actually hadn't had snow games for the Revs. You know, there's a slightly earlier start because of the World Cup this year. Uh, we hadn't had snow games uh, in over 10 years. We had snow before the game at the home opener 2015, which was, you know, late March. And then the Patriots played on snow in 2009. The last real snow game I can remember before last Wednesday was uh, 05 um, in the Eastern Conference semifinal, the great comeback win against the then Metro Stars by the Revs. Um, the Wednesday game against Pumas and the Saturday game against Salt Lake, quite honestly, were two different things. Uh, while I, I, you could tell the Mexican players weren't very comfortable in the snowy conditions Wednesday, uh, with the underheating system and the amount of snow and the field crew doing a good job at Gillette Stadium, even though it looked snowy on TV, it did not look like it was really impacting the game that much. Like, yeah, it's a little slippery. The ball ran long. The Revs players as a group all seemed to have their footing and had the right footwear. Pumas seemed tentative, hesitant, and chilly. Saturday night was a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the snow accumulation was greater than predicted. And while we were expecting uh, winds of 30 miles an hour or so, which is, you know, that can mess up a soccer game. But by the second half, even after the snow started to abate a bit, the swirling winds were gusting up to 50, 60 miles an hour. And that created havoc for the players on both teams and an unpredictability that I think destroys a soccer game. You heard, I'm sure the comments from the Revs team captain, Carlos Hill, he used some yes. salty language, said that they should have stopped the game. And it's hard to disagree. Um, you know, we only stopped games for lightning, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. But that was, you know, I heard that there were like objects outside the stadium being picked up and blown away. Not quite tornadic activity, but it wasn't safe conditions. And it certainly wasn't, you know, it wasn't a true test of soccer. That said, both teams had to play in it. So the Revs can't really blame the weather because uh, Salt Lake came back and did a good job to get the win. So, so you don't look down on the squad after the three goals conceded in the final 12 minutes of open play? It was a weird one because the set, when you talk about the squad, it was, you know, uh, Bruce Arena made a triple sub. Almost immediately yielded dividends with uh, Josie Altidore coming off the bench to get his first goal as a member of New England. And then in the last 15 minutes, they lost some of the cohesion and uh, and sort of fight that they'd had throughout because the uh, the it was really the second string with a few exceptions mm -hmm. who started the game and played the first hour and they were doing great you know uh, 
And I'm not saying that the subs didn't play well because Carlos Heel, who's so good, looked like he was less bothered by the conditions just because he's so skillful that it stands out, his ball control and the weight of his passing and everything. He seems to think, you know, a level above most players. But that said, changing the architecture of the, the team, you know, but I'm not going to say I look down on them well because – on the one hand, yeah, you got to prevent three late goals. Like on the other hand, like the first two, the, the third goal is a great goal. The game winner is a great goal by Tate Schmidt. The other two goals were just these were fluky, wacky ones. On the on the free kick, you know, they should have blown the whistle because the ball is moving because of the wind, rolling back and forth. And then it was a good free kick by Pablo Ruiz, but I think the Reds defenders had it judged correctly, and then it bent in a way that you know nobody ever expected or intended. And it dropped to Justin Glad. He did well to turn it home, but like this was this was you know just sort of random events created by the by the swirling winds. So what are you going to do? You just got to throw it away, and move on. We, we know about the the bad luck goals here in Charlotte. We've had a couple of those. Uh, so the definite empathy there. We can feel for you guys at least through the first couple. With you having a midweek tilt in Champions League against Pumas, you already have a three 0 lead on aggregate. How does Bruce Arena format his lineup knowing he's got that game coming up Wednesday and obviously uh, a Saturday tilt in the Queen City? I think that, you know, with no disrespect intended to, to Charlotte, no matter who the next MLS opponent would be, home or away, the first order of business is to get out of Mexico City with an aggregate win and move on to the next round of the Champions League. It's prestigious competition. They have a three-goal lead, but you, you can't say going down to Mexico City and CONCACAF competition that anything mm -hmm. like that is safe. So no. I think he puts out his strongest lineup Wednesday. If they get an early goal, um, then, you know, he'll probably, you know, probably goes to his bench to try to lock it down because then uh, with the away goals rule, uh, Pumas would need five. Um, you could see them getting three. Getting five would be, you know, one of the great feats. And I think – the Reds have a lot of squad depth. Um, I think that if those legs are tired or if it's nasty, you know, when they, you just never know what happens when you go into one of those Champions League away, away fixtures. Um, I think you'll see a strong lineup against Charlotte, but I don't think you're necessarily going to see, you know, Books of Heel and Bo. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like he, I was surprised he rested Dewan Jones against Salt Lake, but Ryan Spaulding, North Carolina player, came in in his res debut and did really well. I wouldn't be surprised to see Spaulding play on the left side. I don't know how he chops up the, the center of midfield. Um, but the res are a good road team last year. And, you know, the, the, what I'll say is that they can put out a second 11 that, you know, there are a few teams around MLS who would be happy to have them as their first 11. You know what I mean? Like, if you're bringing Josie Altidore off the bench, mm -hmm. international players like Arnor Tristison, you know, you know, Omar Gonzalez, um, John Bell as center backs, like, those are pretty good players. So, um, whoever get, is on the field against Charlotte, you know, they know there's going to be a big crowd and they're going to be up to try to get their, their first home win, that, that that's going to be a tough assignment. So, I, I, I think even if he rotates his squad – no Charlotte FC fans should take that as a slight. Like that, that's just the fact of their schedule right now with so many games in such a short span. 
And, and it's a squad, too, that you said that there's plenty to like about it. You know, Legit's obviously legit. You think about Altador, you mentioned, and obviously the reigning MVP and Carlos Heel. It's a squad that is the second oldest on average in MLS. Does it have the feel of a kind of this is the last ride for a lot of guys after a supporter shield uh, last year? Do you feel like this could be like a real go for it year for Bruce and his squad? I feel like last year was a report year, and they they went for it and you know ended up going out on penalties in the conference semifinals, which was a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if the the sort of the average age is a is a really a true metric because it's sort of top heavy with the likes of Gonzalez and Altador, and I don't know if those guys, you know, when you look at the young talent coming through who don't even play yet like uh, Damian Rivera, Justin Renix has only had maybe seven or eight MLS games, homegrown player, uh, Noel Buck, 16-year-old they signed. There's a lot of promise up and down through the, through the squad, and you have guys like Buxa, who may or may not leave, uh, Heal, who's still in his prime. And so my answer to your question is they want to win with this group, but – Bruce just re-signed a multi-year deal, and I, I don't think they see this as a one-year project. Looking, obviously, at the way that you'll be practically, we know that at least for the Charlotte has played the first two weeks, they've seen a variety of different pressure styles to try and come at them. Charlotte plays a lot at the back. How would you expect New England to attack that style? Will you expect a high line of confrontation, or will it be something where they might sit back a little bit more and not be as much the aggressor? The signature of the Revs since Bruce arrived, and especially since he's gotten more of his players in, has been to press on the road, to try to play away from home the way they play at home. But because of the fixture congestion, it's hard to know to what extent they'll do that. Sometimes they do that intermittently, like they'll try to get on the front foot the first 10, 15 minutes and drop off a little bit. Um Sometimes they play very compressed, so they, you know, they'll the you know the line of contention is say three quarters of the way up the field, but they also hold at the high line. Sometimes they're really just like stepping into it, and it's you know full sort of counter press type of a situation. But it, it's not usually the same thing over ninety minutes, and it, the timing is different. And I think some of it will have to do with what they scout and see as potential, you know, points of weakness or or something that they could exploit. So uh, I would just say in general, they're not a team that goes on the road and parks the bus. Brad, we know that you guys have to uh, clear customs tomorrow and all that stuff. I know you're going to have an extended stay here in the Charlotte area after your visit to Mexico. We hope you guys enjoy it and uh, come back from uh, Mexico safe and sound. Will, good to join you. Thanks very much. As Brad Feldman from the play-by-play team with the New England Revolution, he and Charlie Davies do a fantastic job up there. Uh, they're rather salty about their chances, Jess. I'm not going to lie to you. It sounds that Yeah, good. rather rather confident. I think that would be the way to put it. They are definitely going in with uh, broad chests. And you know what? Yeah. Charlotte FC is used to being the underdog. Uh, I think you go out and sometimes when players are very overconfident, when they underestimate what they're going to be met with, it can meet a lot of frustration. We saw it in LA Galaxy. We saw the body language of the players change. I think this is one of those games where Charlotte FC stays neck and neck. They create chances like they did against Atlanta United. Uh, and they really get to the heads of, of the Revs players. I, I feel fairly good about it. I'm excited. I think it's a home game. The crowd is going to create that advantage. 
for Charlotte FC. And at the end of the day, they can think they have an incredible second 11 that could beat Charlotte FC. I, I tend to disagree. Uh, I think that players that are not fresh and used to minutes always struggle compared to players that are fresh with minutes. So um, I'm okay with being the underdog, Will. I think it's a position that we're going to get used to and we're going to thrive from it. And as you can see on our screen, plenty of tickets available for you to go to the game this weekend. CharlotteFootballClub.com, Ticketmaster, or the B of A box office. They'll have the walk-ups like they did for the opening contest against LA Galaxy. We had an opportunity, though, also yesterday to talk for the first time to Camille Josviak, the new designated player signed by Charlotte from Darby County. And he talked about not only how much he loves to be part of this club, but also how much he's happy about joining his fellow countrymen, Karol Spiderski and Jan Sabachinski, on the roster. Karol, very well. Uh, we played together, uh, yeah, in, we played together in under-19 national team after under-21 national team and now in first uh, national team. Uh, I know Jan also from under-21 national team. And uh, yeah, maybe I know Karol better because we play a lot of, a lot of games together. And I think our cooperation should be good. I hope you will see on the on the pitch. Uh, we know we know each other a lot. So yeah, I spoke a lot of times be, before the transfer with Carol. He told me a lot about the club, about the whole atmosphere, about like how big big is this project. So yeah, that was that was impressive as well. Uh, yeah, and uh, I hope we will we'll show our quality on the pitch together. Fantastic news for Charlotte FC. If there's one thing we've been slightly critical about or concerned about, it's that sometimes you can tell the disjointedness between the midfield, the forwards, the wingers, because they haven't played a lot of time together. So mm -hmm. to bring someone in that understands the way that Karis Wodurski plays, understands the service that he wants, it is fantastic. And I'm really excited to see two players that have those minutes at the highest level. And that's no disrespect to uh, MLS, but... When we think about it, the international level, it's just a different kettle of fish. And for them to have connected and played well together at that level, very, very exciting times for and Charlotte. It, and it could create, too, Jess, a little bit of a crowded room there in the forward room because you're going to have Swiderski, you're going to have, uh, obviously, Josviak, you're going to have Ben Bender, who's playing very well. If he continues to play well, you can't take him out of the lineup. You've got Jordi Reyna, who we saw back at training earlier this week. Uh, you have Danny Rios, who you added from Nashville. There's going to be a lot of uh, jockeying for minutes. It's a good, good problem, problem to have. have. And for a side that was being criticized very openly and very strongly for not having enough forward presence, it's very refreshing that they've gone out and they've acquired players that are going to add that. And remember, there's still time. The, the window doesn't close until May, I believe. So still time mm -hmm. to add a few more components to this side as well. We heard from our friends in Atlanta that they had not seen a traveling contingent for a regular season match like any they saw on Sunday with the Charlotte fans heading down I-85 to the ATL. One of the guys who was part of the group that went down was Patrick Aquino of the Carolina Hooligans. He joins us for this week's Supporter Spotlight. It is now that time on Crown Corner where we every week support our supporters and give you an opportunity to get a spotlight on the supporter groups of Charlotte FC. You found out this week also from Chief Fan Officer Sean McIntosh that they have sold out the supporters section for 2022. So all 3,500 tickets are sold and a lot of those are taken up by our friends from the Carolina Hooligans. 
Patrick Aquino joins us. He was part of the contingent down in Atlanta, and he joins us here on Crown Corner. What's going on, Patrick? How are you? How was the trip down to that city? It was the trip was great, man. We had a great time down there. You know, it was fun finally getting to see uh, Charlotte FC take on ATL. I mean, it wasn't the outcome we wanted, but man, we had a we had a blast. That's for sure. Now, what must have been part of that blast was seeing the first goal. We've seen some videos of the celebration from your perspective. Talk us through what that meant in terms of the celebration and seeing Adam Armour put the ball in the back of the net. It was great, man. It was uh, it was it was awesome to hear the whole the whole stadium go silent, but us, man. We were cheering so <laughs> loud. It was just crazy, you know, be able to echo throughout the whole stadium, man. Everybody got quiet except for us. Our whole crowd was going nuts in the stands. And I also want to know, just because I think we all see the vibe from where people are. I think a lot of people are like us and, and take that long view and say, hey, there's continual progress being made. But I just feel like that goal, and if you listen to our call of the game, it just represented an exuberance and a release from the fact that, hey, okay, this is that that weight off the back. And now, as a result, not only can the goals come, but – you can also start seeing some progression and some points as well. Yeah, man. Um, like, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was great finally able to see a goal. I mean, it was, like I say, it wasn't a win, but to be able to score in Atlanta against them just means everything, man. <laughs> and, I mean, I, the team is doing great. You know, I, I, they're, they are getting better each week, and you know, hopefully next week we'll, we'll get that win. One last question back to the traveling fan base. We saw Mike Conti, who's the equivalent of Will in Atlanta, talk about how this was the best fan base they've seen travel to the Mercedes-Benz. Does that make you proud? Is that something you want to continue to do, traveling to other matches, showing support away from home? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, that was a, it was great seeing a lot of people on Twitter say, a lot of Atlanta fans, you know, saying that we're probably one of the loudest they've had in, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you know, it just makes us proud of what we're doing as a club, what we're doing as supporter groups, you know, the fans just, it's good to hear that from, from ATL fans in general. How, how did the fans uh, treat you? Were they, were they hospitable? Is it a rivalry now, do you think? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it's really, uh, they're, it's hard to say, man. The fans were great. You know, we met a lot of a lot of great ATL fans. There was a few that, you know, they didn't like us. That's understandable. <laughs> you know, it's going to happen anywhere we go or any anytime we have fans that come here it's gonna happen between some fans but other than that it was great you know i've been to mercedes a few times so it was good to be back out there again moving ahead to this weekend coming up new england revolution what are your plans obviously the tailgate the march are you looking to change anything from the inaugural match um no we're pretty much gonna keep it the same we're gonna be a little bit uh try to be a little bit more organized when it comes to the match you know as we're marching in have our how our group a little bit more together. I mean, last I mean the first game was it was just it was pretty crazy because there was so many people out there. So it's understandable, you know. We knew that was going to happen, but this time we're, we're going to be a little bit better prepared for what's coming this weekend. Yeah, I think you know when, when Jess and I stopped over there, we didn't really get an opportunity to to unpack what that was with the swath of people over there at the supporters tailgate. It was, it was pretty frenetic and crazy. It's it's seeing the videos of the March up. It it was fantastic. I'm I'm curious to see what that's going to be like with a more contained 3,500. I know they probably had some extras who, who you might not see there, but 
in terms of what you guys are trying to accomplish with Carolina Hooligans, I know that we always like to try and give a unique spotlight to each of these groups whenever we bring you guys on. What is it about your group that makes you guys unique to the Supporters Council? Um, I think what makes us a little bit more unique is, you know, we're not based in Charlotte. You know, we live about an hour away. So, you know, what we do is for the people around our area who aren't from, from Charlotte in general, but they want to be part of, you know, Charlotte FC supporter group. So, you know, we try to get more members from up here. So we get them to come down with us and, st- and down there. And I think that's one of the most um, unique thing about us. And when, and when he says up here, he says the triad area too, That's right? That's right, yeah, Lexington. We live in Lexington. <laughs> and then one of the things that is mandatory, of course, for official supporters groups is community service. What is something that you guys are passionate about in terms of giving back to your community? Um, we're actually working on a few things right now. The last biggest thing we had was, it was a little bit, uh, back in Christmas, we donated some toys to, uh, you know, um, to a hospital. We had that going on and, uh, we're still working on a few things that we need to do for our community around here. And uh, we'll, we'll post more about that later on in the season. I also want to feel like too, because even though I see you guys in the triad, I, I see Carolina hooligan stuff all around, not just in Charlotte, but I, I see people all over the place. Are you guys trying to expand your reach a little bit or is it still contained in that, that uh, portion of the state? No, we actually have we actually have members in South Carolina now too. Um, you know, oh. shout out for Southbound for letting us uh, have some <laughs> members out there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have members in South Carolina now. We actually got members in Raleigh too. You know, um, we're probably gonna start chapters here. Like I never, we never expected this to blow up as as much as we thought we were. And then after this this uh, our first home match, it just you know we got people, you know, sending us um, messages saying they want to join, they want to be part of our group, and we're. So we're going to have to expand here soon, get a few chapters going. More money, more problems, man. Yeah. <laughs> what about TIFOs? TIFOs, we were so excited to see the first one. Um, is that a collaborative effort, or do you guys do it individually? Do you all put your heads together for TIFOs? No, we uh, we all group, uh, the, all the supporter groups work as one. We come, you know, we, uh, we have this committee. We come up with ideas, you know, whatever ideas we have. And that, you know, we want to be... We want to be together when it comes to stuff like that, you know, that way we can all just be one because we're supporting for Charlotte FC, you know, we're not, yeah, we are individual groups, but we're all for the same cause and we want us to work together for all that. That first, that first TIFO was kept as a very, very veiled secret. We did not get any any advance notice on what it was going to look like, what it was going to be. Everybody just told us it was going to be crazy. Putting Queen Charlotte together, that was an amazing effort. What, what was it like for you as a supporters group VP to not only see that unfurled, but to see that the process of that getting put together? It was, it was great. Um, I didn't know. You know I, didn't, I didn't know exactly what they were coming up with. When we went to go paint it, me and my wife actually went down to, um, to Charlotte. And when we saw like what it was, we we're blown away. Like we're, we're so proud of what, you know, they, they came up with and it was amazing to be able to work on that and then to watch it get put up. It was so great. Well, Patrick, we appreciate the time as always uh, from the supporter groups, let people know how they can get in touch with you guys and possibly join the Carolina hooligans. Uh, yeah, you can, uh, you can look us up on our website at Los Hooligans, uh, Los Carolina hooligans.com. You can also find us on uh, IG Carolina hooligans 
or on Twitter on Los Hooligans 336. We have a, a tree link on there that directs to us to all our social medias and just, you know, just look out for us too in the games. If you see us coming out to the tailgate, you know, we're, we're open, we're open arms to anybody that wants to come and kick it with us. You got you got to uh, get yourself inside the uh, chant committee and get us an opportunity to have a uh, an Adam Armour specific chant after he scored uh, the first goal. Though that's uh, that's good. That's being worked on. <laughs> it's coming. Appreciate appreciate the time, Patrick. As always, we'll see you on Saturday. Hey, I appreciate y'all having me on here, man. Thank y'all. That is Patrick. That's Patrick Aquino here on uh, Crown Corner. Fantastic stuff from him and plenty of stuff going on with the supporter sections. Again, uh, 7 o'clock is uh, the kick time on Saturday night. Should be a lot of fun uh, going on at Bank America Stadium and that tailgate lot on McNinch and Moorhead. It is time now to bring in Matt Hogan, our great producer, the mustachioed maven himself, for Matt's burning questions of the week, pal. How's it going, guys? Uh, we uh, I don't know if you guys saw the comment about we love Patrick, but we also love Patrick. So. We love Patrick a lot. <laughs> Good Lots of love for Patrick. Yeah. Um, so just a couple questions for you guys. Uh, we got about four minutes left, so we'll try to do these a little quicker than usual. But question one is, can Ben Bender, who's 21 years old, lead this team or uh, is it just still too early for something like that? Big believer that you can have a leadership position within a team, no matter what your age, it's what you're doing on the pitch. Look at Jalen Lindsay, who we spoke to last week. I think it's all about minutes. It's about how you play, how you step up. I think he's got a good opportunity to lead as an example within the team, no matter his age. You guys want to play with good players. And I think the, the best leadership quotient is play on the field. You don't have to be uh, a voice a vociferous guy or a boisterous guy. I've combined the two words there, but you don't have to come out and basically, you know, yell and scream and go crazy. If people see what you're doing on the pitch, I mean, heck, we saw him earlier in training on a week where, you know, basically guys were basically having a recovery day and he's out there. He's out there for the entire training session. So I feel like he's somebody who, if you look at him and his work ethic, guys want to see that. Question two is uh, wrong question. Sorry. Uh, should Fuchs remain where he is or possibly move somewhere else or back to center back? What are your thoughts? I think it depends on what formation Megan how Ramirez goes with. Uh, he can play left back or center back was a little bit of a struggle with the left back yesterday, but uh, yesterday. Wow. I'm throwing back, but a little bit of a struggle at the last match, but he's a player that's old enough and mature enough to adjust. I did prefer him at center back, but I think in a back four, he would most likely be the left back. I think, you got to have him on the on the pitch at any cost. And I think left back is probably his best natural fit because it allows you also to get another center back on the pitch. I still would have gone with another sub, whether it was, you know, McCoon coming off for walks. Again, we were having questions about whether or not walks was fit to, to, to play or not. Uh, I maybe would have tried to sub on Mora for Fuchs, even though you lose a little bit defensively from Mora. I don't think Fuchs at left back is a problem. I think center back might be his position of future, at least with this club. But at least for me, I think asking him to play a full 90 at left back might be a bit too much for those 35-year-old legs. Just my just my thought. Last question. What are your thoughts on Alcivar and Sobachinsky's limited game time so far? And will that change soon? I think with Sobachinsky, it's all about age and experience. He's in a very uh, competitive position. Lots of competition at that centre-back. So that's going to be a struggle for him. He's got to learn and he's learning from the best with experience there. In terms of Alcivar, we've mentioned that 
The manager's looking for a very physical component. Alcivar is a little less physical. He's not used to MLS, the Ecuadorian league, slightly less physical, more about skill. So I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get used to it. I'd like to see him coming off the bench and maybe getting some minutes. And I don't mind seeing him, you know, getting a little bit of motivation. And I think, you know, we almost thought that we would see Sergio Ruiz uh, play as well on Sunday. But uh, Mother Nature had other ideas. And uh, we're happy to at least uh, tell you that mom and baby are doing well. And uh, and Sergio is doing well with the brand new birth of their new uh, baby girl. So we're happy about that. And maybe we'll see Sergio get some minutes too, as well as Jordy. And and again, you know, you, you can only play 16. I mean, at, at least match, at least a max on that match. So at least from that perspective, there's going to be a couple of guys maybe with some hurt feelings, but we'll see how that uh, plays out throughout the season. And you're going to need all 20, at least from that perspective, too. It is a long season. It's a condensed season, 34 games. I think Jordy's moment is still to come here with this squad. Well, we hope that you guys have enjoyed listening and watching us. It was, this podcast really went really fast for us today, Jess. We didn't get a chance to ask you about your favorite breakfast plate. By the I'll way, I'll tweet it. I'll tweet it out. Don't worry. I've got you guys. Can I, can I, because I already said it on the radio, Jess doesn't like eggs. So that might <laughs> change her answer a little bit. Which is <laughs> a, a weird thing. We have to, we have to bookmark that and come back to it at some point because I have to envelop the questions on, on why. But we'll, we'll, we'll get it. to that. We'll get to that next week on Crowd Quarter. Remember, our coverage on the Charlotte FC Radio Network, 6.30 for a 7 o'clock first kick. will be on WBT in Charlotte, provided that there is no North Carolina game that evening. If not, we'll be on WLNK, 107.9 FM. But we'll give you plenty of uh, on our social media this week, at Willie P. Style and at Just Talks Footy. Thank you so much for watching and listening to Crown Corner. We'll talk to you on the broadcast Saturday and see you next week here on Crown Corner.